You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Today, I'm actually going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. So if you go in your Bibles or your digital device and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, the title of this message is, What You Can Now See, The Unseen World. And so I'm going to talk about this subject matter called the unseen world that I think is going to find very, very interesting. And it's going to speak directly to baptism. And so I'll make some comments related to that as we go. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul is going to actually unpack something in a few sentences related to this unseen world that are deep and very significant. And uh, so let me pray. Let me pray. So Lord Jesus, thank you. God, that we uh, can know you. Thank you that you've made things known to us through your word. And so I pray now by the power of the Holy Spirit, a supernatural power to come upon us at church today. As we prepare our hearts for you, as we prepare our hearts for baptism, that you would visit us deep in our hearts, that you'd speak to us deep in our hearts, that you remove whatever barrier there is, God, Uh, that you'd speak to us. So God, we just give you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. All church says, amen, amen, amen. amen. Okay, so, well, let's just get after it. The Bible speaks about an unseen world. I mean, it'd be very, very difficult. I know where everyone's at, but it'd be very, very difficult for you to be a serious Bible reader, Bible student, uh, to be in the scriptures, let alone to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to not understand at some basic, basic level that everything that the Bible is talking about, everything that is related to a term called the kingdom of God, everything that's related to salvation is actually talking about an unseen world. And that you have problems in your life, sometimes because this unseen world takes you out. Stinking lousy, as we would say. We go into water baptism because we've been saved. We're going to water baptism because God's grace has saved us and he gives us power against darkness and dark forces. A few things by way of introduction that I want to chase. Okay, talk about what you can now see. Uh, You can see the unseen world when you get saved, when you're baptized in the Spirit, Related to the baptismal waters, at least to some degree, you can see the unseen world, even though Paul will tell us very clearly, we see kind of darkly. So it's not complete clarity. You have to be in heaven with Jesus to see it with complete clarity. To the baptized believer, here's what you see, that the Bible is the deepest truth of all truth. So there is truth out there. Everyone should say yes. Thank you so much for that. There's truth out there. So the truth that is deeper than the truth that you would know and confess is what the Bible is actually talking about. This book, the Bible, the scriptures, are the deeper truth behind all truth. So some ways that kind of plays out is for those who are following Christ, the unseen world is what's behind things like CNN, Fox News, political conflict, economic drama at a global scale, at a local scale, whatever this thing is. But we, we, we can hear about news flashes or whatever. We understand there's a deeper truth to that. And that deeper truth is part of the unseen world playing out a dynamic in this world. These dark unseen forces are behind violence, oppression, hatred, poverty, 
to mention a few things. The dark powers are behind suicide and self-harm and many other dark things. That's why they're dark. That's why they're considered dark powers. The Bible will clearly communicate kind of a hierarchy of powers, principalities, scheme of darkness. That's real, church. Like that's why we're that's why we're doing this. It's why we're, we're we're following Jesus in salvation. It's why we're actually following Jesus in baptismal waters because He has offered to us a power to overcome that. But that requires from us a certain faith walk, and it requires from us certain steps of faith that we have to take. Okay, I'm gonna kind of just labor on the introduction a little bit more and go here with you. So it's not like the church you know, has not known this, whether it's our church historically or the church historically throughout all generations. It's not like the church has not known this. Many writers in church history have written about this. Of course, Paul about is about to speak of it as I get ready to read it to you right here. But this has been known for those who want to know it, the unseen world. So every culture in the history of the world has spoken some way, shape, or form that there's an unseen world. Every culture, every continent, Every corner of the planet, as long as humans have been alive, there have been writings. I'm not saying they're Christian writings. I'm not saying they're Jewish writings. I am saying that there are testimonies and writings of every culture, all times throughout the entire history of the world, communicating there's an unseen world that I know it. I don't understand it. That would be the ancient Greeks. I can't comprehend it. That would be the ancient Persians. Uh, that would be, hey, I, we, 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 we had Moses telling you about it. That would be the ancient Jews. But in every culture, that has been true. But nobody in the last hundred years has topped C.S. Lewis. I mean, just nobody has. Uh, he got saved, and he just had a unique ability as a scholar to write about this. So that's what the Chronicles of Narnia is all about. The unseen world comes into the seen world. And his doctrine of what's called Christology is, is airtight and right on. I don't think anybody's yet topped the Screwtape Letters. Uh, that's a book that he's written, arguably the best book. It's in my top 10. If you want to know, hey, pastor, top 10 Christian books you should read, read the Screwtape Letters. There's a dialogue that he has in that book where there is Satan and there's demons and they're trying to trip Christians up. And it's an inner dialogue that he made up in his mind based on a biblical understanding of the unseen world. And they're talking to one another. And it's completely biblical and totally fascinating. Our baptism Sunday, I need to explain baptism through the lens of the scripture. So now we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. This would be a great section to underline in your Bible or in your digital device to press a couple dots and then have it highlighted for you so it will come back. These are great sentences and verses to return to among the mature, among the immature church? No, among the mature, which simply means somebody who wants to grow in Christ. So among the mature, we do impart a wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, catch this phrase, who are doomed to pass away. So Paul is saying, look, where are you going for this kind of wisdom? You only go one place, it's to Christ and the cross. You only go to one place and that's God. He's talking about an unseen world and how Jesus played the devil and why. And the unfailing power of God 
Here is God's love against all sorrow. As he mentions a few verses down, uh, this, this love that he has. And he created you so that you would know this. All right, let me chase a few thoughts here. Here's what Christians know. That Christians have known that unexplainable things have happened to them. And Corinthian church here knew that there were unexplainable things going on in their culture. So if you're back at the church at Corinth, they're actually asking and talking about, well, can Zeus do something about the unseen world? Here's what Zeus would do. Nothing. In fact, when they read about Zeus, they go, that guy's a bad guy. He's really a selfish person. He's a selfish God. If he even really even exists, and we don't really want to know him. That's Zeus for you. Quick summary. So the Corinthians themselves would write about their local deities and say, no, no, thank you. But they knew that something existed. Look at verse 7 related to a contrast. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So, so there is a secret hidden wisdom of God related to the unseen world before you were created, before the foundation of the world. He decreed that you and Christ would be able to know it so that it would set you free. It's a huge contrast to what the world has to offer. Verse 8 says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So let's chase verse 8 here. Here's what verse 8 is saying. That God never told Satan about the resurrection. So you got to understand there's a difference here between the cross, the cross, everyone say yes. Okay, the cross, that's different than the resurrection. One day, two day, three day, right? Friday, Saturday, but Sunday's coming. Right? The classic phrase, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Saturday, but Sunday's coming. And we preach about that as an illustration of sometimes we feel like it's Friday. Hey, deliverance is far off. Sometimes we feel like we're in the middle and deliverance is far off, but Sunday's coming. In other words, the devil knew about the cross, possibility of the cross, possibility of the Savior dying on the cross. But somehow God, in a stealth mode, kept him blinded to the power of the resurrection. That's what this verse is saying, and I'll explain to you more why. Okay, everybody with me? Yes. Okay, you want to follow this. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not, see the word not in your Bible, not have crucified the Lord of glory. And that is because these dark powers, these principalities, these forces of darkness, I'm just quoting now Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, rather liberally. All of Satan, all of his demonic friends, if they had known what this verse is saying, if they had known the cross and the power of the resurrection on the third day, they never would have put Jesus on the cross. Can you follow that? Can you comprehend that? Let that marinate in your mind. There is an unseen world full of dark forces. They thought they had God. And so they thought, sure, we'll crucify him. We'll torture God. We'll crucify him. Remember that deeper truth that we introduced? The deeper truth was God never told them about the resurrection because he was always planning on telling you. 
so that you could be saved, so that you could be delivered, so that you could prosper in this lifetime, so that you could be blessed in this lifetime. And he hid that from the dark forces of the world because he loved you that much. It's incredible, actually, which means that Christians know things the devil doesn't, or at least can know some things. And being saved and being born again and being baptized in the Spirit and being baptized in water is part of the spiritual walk of unlocking those doors. Verse 8 is showing us the supernatural power and the miracle of the cross. All right, so now I'm going to kind of illustrate this for just one moment, if you will. And uh, we're going to talk about Jesus when Jesus got baptized. And I'm going to turn to my Bible to uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 3 and 4 very quickly. You can just listen up if you care to, but I want to reference this. So in Matthew chapter 3, at the very end of that chapter, Jesus is baptized. Right? It's this common gospel story. So Jesus is born, that's Christmas, and then, uh, you know, we have an incident of his life, you know, more of his early teenage years that we sort of know about him, that we know anything about him, that he's now going to start his earthly ministry, going to be baptized. All the gospel writers speak about this in one way or another. That's Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 4, now we're, now, now here's what it says. Verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In other words, he gets baptized, and then now, now there's going to be this journey. There's going to be this journey in order to be tempted by the devil. What's going to happen in this temptation account? All right, but I'm going to skip down to verse 4 just in light of time. But he answers the devil. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We should all just shout amen to that, right? I met a man that I used to disciple when he was uh, a, a long time ago. Uh, there's about a you know 15 age uh, gap between us, so I was younger, he was much younger, and and so uh, you know he was just one of these one of these eager guys. And so he goes, Pastor, I want to grow, I want to change, I want to grow. Highly intelligent man, very professional, just an incredible incredible follower of Christ. And so at that time I was pretty devout, memorizing scripture, and so. I said, okay, well, you can join me. I got a bunch of guys. We're memorizing scripture. We're memorizing lots of scripture together, and you can join us. He goes, okay, what are you doing? I go, we're memorizing the book of Romans together. So if you think, so men in, in the church, if you think Jeff Clay's hard on you, just remember, <laughs> you know, trust me. I'm like, yeah, I go, you want to grow? You want to grow? That's what you do. He goes, you want me to do what? Yeah, we're memorizing the whole book of Romans together. It's going to take us a year or two or whatever the case is. We meet for once a month all night, and uh, we have a great time together, and, uh, and, we, and we see if we can do it. We'll see if we do it. You don't have to do it perfectly. We're just going for it. So this guy gets so zealous about that, he actually does it. He just floors all of us. It's incredible. And so he looks at me and goes, do you remember when we did that together? I go, yeah, I do remember that together. He goes, oh, it was awesome. And he went on to give a testimony about destroying demonic powers over his family, over his life in ways that are, were incredible. So here Jesus talks about that. He says, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then there's another temptation. Again, I'm just giving this to you in brief. In verse 7, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So he's put to the test, and, and Jesus says, no, that's not, that's not the way it goes. And then He's tempted again. And verse 10 says, and Jesus said, Be gone, Satan. You can underline that. 
as a Christ follower, as a baptized in the Spirit believer, as someone who's gone through these baptismal waters, trust me that you have power and authority in the name of Christ to say, Satan, leave me alone. My family, my business, my health, my body, be gone. Get out of here. You don't belong here. I belong to Christ. I'm owned by Christ. Actually, when the Spirit comes upon his children, his children are actually operating with the sanctity of Christ inside them, and they actually take the sacred spaces of Christ where they go. The only way to understand that would be to see the Old Testament when the tabernacle would go. And you're that tabernacle, God says. Be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only, and only serve him. And the devil left him. Angels came and ministered to Jesus. Okay, so here's why I'm belaboring this, all right? So we we'll go back to 1 Corinthians. I'll go back there in a moment. So, so why am I using that as a cross-reference? Why am I even, even going there? All right, well, let's have a little fun here because it's acceptable. All right, so, so who here is tired of the devil beating him up? Okay, right, so that would be just anybody who's kind of, you know, answered the clue phone spiritually about what's cool, what's up, and what's not. So, so just imagine that you're Jesus, and you've left heaven, you've come to earth, you're God in human flesh. All of the humility, the Scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2, all of the machinations of trying to work that out, and then now you're going to start your ministry, now you're going to be baptized, now you're going to start your ministry, and then, and then the devil faces you, right? And then now he's going to tempt you. These are very real temptations, and you're going to overcome it. Okay, so I just read to you what he said. What did, well, here's what he did not say. It's what I would have said. I think it's what you would have said. Hey, you know what? I'm going to get you. And I'm going to get you when you stick me on the cross. And I'm going to go to the grave. And three days later, I'm coming back. I'm going to smack you on the head. I'm going to smack you on the head. I'm going to smack you on the head. And when I'm done with that, I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. Yeah, and then I'm going to get you. I'm going to give you some more. I'm going to give you some more. And I'm going to give you a big one for Adam. I'm going to give you a big one for Eve. I'm going to give you a big one for Rick Soto, the ranch church, and everybody. And I'm going to give you more and more and more. All right, that's what I would do. I'm sure that would be your response. But he didn't do that. Why? Satan didn't know. He didn't know about the resurrection. And so Jesus has got to go these three years in such a way, and even in the last week, the drama of his life, so that he actually humbles himself and is restricting divine expression so that they will actually put him on the cross so that his divine blood would be shed to give you this theological term, justification, so that all of your sin could be wiped out once forever, so that you could actually live on planet Earth as someone never condemned. And he's going to restrict himself that way. So he kept the most supernatural way the dark powers from knowing that. I'm in Corinthians again, verse 9. But it is written... What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And that's the purpose of that. That was the actual purpose. That, that the love of God would baptize your life, soak your life, come upon your life. Your relationships would be different. Certainly as it works out over time, your friendships would be different. And just start praying with people. If you say to me, Pastor, I don't have a friend. Okay, well, first of all, 
I'll do my best to be yours. Second of all, join a prayer group, even for five minutes, you know. And then third of all, just come forward and get saved or let us baptize you. Whatever the case is, you can have friends. All you have to do is pray for a few minutes with somebody. And your heart is drawn to them. You begin to experience transformation. This verse here has a cross-reference. And uh, I... Uh, I am going to hustle with it a little bit here so we can get into baptism. But I, I got to do this. I got to do this. You guys got to, okay, I'm going to go to Isaiah 64. So this is a crossroads, Isaiah 64, and pastor's going to hustle here uh, through this. But Isaiah 64, by way of a cross-reference, remember, no eye is seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man is imagined. God is prepared for that. Paul's going to give a paraphrase to Isaiah 64. So here's how Isaiah 64 starts, because this is what, is talking about this unseen world, this victory that comes through Christ. So Isaiah 64 starts out so positively, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. That's a version of saying, hey, God, do it again. I mean, one day you came down, you parted waters, you put the mountain on fire, your presence was so thick, we were slain in the spirit, do it again. Verse 2 says, as when a fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, very interesting, and the nations might tremble at your presence. In other words, God, show off. Like just, you know, sometimes you show up and then you show off. Like show off right now. Like the, these enemies, these powers, these principalities, these nations that would slander you, like show up and do business with them. I don't know how to do business with them. You know how to do business with them. You show up with fire. Verse 3, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. Catch that phrase in Isaiah 64. We weren't looking for it, God, but you did it. Oh, yeah. Verse 4, and of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no has eyes seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. It's incredible. That's what Paul's getting at. Back to Corinthians now. No eye has seen, heard. Who has, God has prepared this love for those who love him. That's, the, that's part of the supernatural joy of going to baptism. I mean, it is an act of humility. You can do it, if you will, in a traditional, historic, Judaic way where the Jews actually, actually went willfully. So they went into the mikvah, and they went face down, and then they came up. And then generally, that's totally acceptable. And then generally, Christians, you know, kind of actually a little more humility, a little more vulnerable, we're going to take you the back way like that and hold you down. Some of you, I'm going to hold you down. you... <laughs> There's just a lot on you, you know, so we're going to, like, hold you down. Might do it two or three times, you know, that's okay. We're going to hold you down. That's because God loves you, and that's what you're going to experience, a baptism and waves and wave of God's love. That's what Paul is talking about here in verse 9. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So part of, part of what happens is when you read a book 
you know the mind of the author. I mean, like, read a secular author. Read, like, you know, John Grisham, an old favorite of mine, right? So you read him, and then you're actually in his mind, like what this guy is thinking. So when you read an author, you're reading that person's mind. When you read the Scriptures, you're reading the mind of God, not the mind of man. And then all the more so because the text is going to say, these things God has revealed to us. What's it say there? Through the what? Through the Spirit. So Christians actually are given by God part of, of His Spirit into us, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. That's the point. That's the gift that comes upon the believer. Now into verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him, which is a way of saying that who can actually hear your thoughts when you're thinking it privately? All right, so somebody could be looking at you and going, okay, what's going on with you? You're going, oh, oh, nothing. No, man, something's going on with you. Nothing. No, like there's something seriously going on. I could tell, man, like, you know, like, you look like you're going to cry. You look like you're stressed out. You look like you're upset or mad or something. No, nothing. Leave me alone. Get out of here. Right? So it doesn't matter because that person has to do what? They actually have to talk. They'll tell you what's inside. The only person who knows the inside is the Spirit. So the only thing that knows the inside of God is the Holy Spirit of God who was chosen to speak to the Christians' spirit inside them to know the mind and the heart of God. Hallelujah. Right? That's awesome. So also, verse 11 says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. On to verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. That is just incredible. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. I'm going to run for home here. The natural person, this is someone who doesn't know Christ. It doesn't matter. They could be going to church. They could have all kinds of different morality in a good way inside them, but they, they don't know Christ. So the Bible calls them a natural person, does not accept the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand it because they're spiritually discerned, which means they just don't get it. The spiritual person, now in the last verse of that chapter, judges all things, but is himself is judged by no one. Why? Because they have the Spirit of God. They have the Word of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct them? Who is giving advice to God, church? You know what that answer is? No one. No one's giving advice to God. Hey, God, you know what? I really think you should run the universe very differently. Yeah. We have a whole book in the Bible called Job, where at the very last section, God is going to tell Job, so where were you when, you know, and it's when the animal kingdom gave birth, you know, when the weather patterns change and all of that. Do you hold all this together? The Bible says that the entire planet Earth, as an example, all the laws of physics are but a footstool for God, which means he just can prop his foot up just like you do on an ottoman with that kind of ease, and he, and he holds it all together. Baptism is to immerse you in Christ, to be saved, to be born again. The act of it, the acts of it, even coming forward for altar calls do not save you. Those are expressions of an internal work that Christ has done as an external means. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says we're saved by grace through faith and not by works, by way of summary. 
But doing this gets you there. Doing this gets you saved. Doing this will open doors that we've been talking about. Doing this will help you to see the unseen world, to see dark forces now answering to Jesus and being obedient to Jesus, to see the kingdom of God come and hovering over you and creating not a hedge. I actually never liked that phraseology, you know, hedge of protection. Oh, God's got to do better, man. Let me just tell you how God's protecting me. He's protecting me with cement walls that are miles and miles thick. And you have angelic host around all of his children saying, these are mine, don't touch them. That's what he has for you. So I'm going to pray now, church. And after service, we're going to get into, uh, to make it easy, we had uh, hot dogs so that we can just quickly kind of enjoy lunch and then get into the waters. But I need to talk to you for just two or three minutes. I'm not going to labor with this. You must come to know Jesus Christ. It's, it's a most basic and elementary confession, and it's so extremely profound. And, and, and you do that by saying, Jesus, please save me from my sin and from myself. Let, let, let me be saved. That's what that expression is. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.